Well, isn't it terrible? How many of you know somebody that went on spring break? Let me see your hands. All right. Aren't you glad you're not there <laughs> suffering with those crowds in 85 degree weather? Hey, I'm so thankful to be here where it's sunshine and 35. It's wonderful. Yes. Amen. Yeah. All right. Okay. Listen, I want, I want to introduce you to a friend. Uh, this is Jane. And uh, the reason she's up here is because I have forced you to endure my artwork for the last three months, my, my stick man artwork. And so I want to give you a break. I want to give you a joy today because Jane, who's part of Compass Church, is an artist. And she's going to do something very amazing with chalk art today. And I've asked her to kind of just uh, put on there an expression of the overall theme that I hope has been coming through this series that we've had called Behind the Scenes. And I need to let you know that it's hard for an artist to give up uh, their canvas. Uh, but I have been willing to let Jane have my canvas and work with it, all right? So I want you to thank her ahead of time, all right? Thank you. <clears throat> so please take your Bibles now and turn open, if you will, to Daniel chapter 12. And I want to recap where we were last time in Daniel, just so that we're caught up with where we're going in this last message uh, in the series. And if you'll take out the navigator, we're going to use the little diagram there in just a moment. But listen to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Okay, let's review it by using that diagram. It's in the navigators up on the screen as well. The time that's being referred to there in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 is the time that begins with the great tribulation and goes through the day of the Lord. So that's the time that he's talking about specifically. It's the second half of the last seven years of earth's history, which is Daniel's 70th week that we have been talking about. It says that during that time, Michael the archangel will arise. And the question means, the question is, who's Michael the archangel? And Michael has a unique responsibility of defending, being the protector of Israel. He arises to protect them during this time because halfway through where that little X is, the Antichrist is revealed and he comes after God's people. He's Satan's prodigy. He hates Israel. He wants to destroy them because through them came God's word and through them came God's son. And he's always wanted to destroy them. But God has always rescued and protected them. I think that's been the activity of Michael the archangel. And last weekend we saw how in Revelation chapter 12, Michael the archangel uh, has this battle in heaven and he defeats Satan who's cast down the earth and begins to persecute God's people. And I believe that it is Michael the archangel that then keeps them during this time of great tribulation and the day of the Lord. He protects a third of them from the Antichrist uh, attack and from the wrath of God that's poured out on the wicked. The Bible tells us that the great tribulation period is so great. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's so intense that if God had not cut it off, had not intervened, no one would have survived. The question is, how does God intervene? And the answer is by what I believe is the rapture, the pre-wrath rapture, the rapture that comes 
after this great tribulational period and before God pours out his wrath. At that point, believers in Christ are taken out of this world. And we go to be with the Lord and we are in heaven with God during this time of God's wrath. And during that time is when we are judged, not for our salvation, but judged according to our works. Second Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that. And so does 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we get rewarded and blessed for our faithfulness to God. And then, of course, the Lord returns. We have Armageddon. Then begins the thousand-year millennium. Now, Daniel says, uh, as he records his angelic messenger, that there are two resurrections that are going to happen. The first resurrection happens at the rapture. It's a resurrection to eternal life for those who are believers. When the Lord returns, according to Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those who have died uh, in Christ are going to return with him. Their bodies will be raised up. They'll be given brand new resurrected bodies. And then we who are still alive will be caught up to meet them in the air and be with the Lord forever. It's going to be an awesome experience, isn't it? And uh, I pray that that day would come very, very soon. But for the second resurrection, we're talking about those people who have died and have had no faith in Christ and have died with their pride and their rebellion and their wickedness. They stay in death until the end of the millennial period, past the kingdom age. Then in Revelation chapter 20, we are told they are resurrected to life, brought before God's judgment throne, and there they are judged, and they are condemned to an eternity without Jesus Christ, that the Bible calls hell. And you and I may not like hell, and we may not like the concept of hell, but it still is a reality. As much as heaven is real, hell is real. And God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. Understand that doesn't want to send anybody to hell. The Bible says he's willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. But for people who refuse to repent, that then is the choice of where they will spend their eternity. Now, with all that said, let's come back to verse 3. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end. In other words, God God is saying to the angelic messenger, codify everything you've been told, Daniel, and roll up the scroll and stick a seal on it and protect it because it's going to be needed and uh, it's going to be needed in the end, at the end times. People are going to unroll that scroll and they're going to understand what's going on around them. That's why he says... Seal up the book until the time of the end when, so we know that's the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. It's not about the internet or about Google, all right? It's not about speeding planes and trains, all right? This is a time when people are going to be rushing around trying to understand why are we going through this right now in our world, Why are circumstances the way they are economically, politically, morally, spiritually? People are going to be trying to accumulate all kinds of knowledge. You know, 2012, the Mayan prophecies. What's going on around us? And the person who actually goes to God's word and unrolls the scroll, so to speak, and reads what God revealed to Daniel is going to look at what's going on around them and go, Ah, this is what God is doing. And they will wise up as a result of it. Let me show you what I mean. Look down at verse 9. But he said, Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Verse 10. 
Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. In other words, as people go through the end times, it's going to have a, a, a way of refining their lives. It's going to have a way of stripping us clean of, of the nonsense in our lives as we sober up and we begin to look to God. That certainly is having an effect on my life. As we're moving into these days that we're living in, I see how, how vain materialism is. I see how vain chasing after success can be. You know, all that stuff we have today and it's gone tomorrow. Who really matters ultimately? It's God. This sensual culture that we live in, so full of lust. People chasing after all that lust and, lust and sensualism. Where does it lead them to? Moral bankruptcy, ruined marriages. And all the pain we see. I'm like, man, I don't want any of that. So... Living in these times tends to wise us up. But listen to what he says here. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. But, he says, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness. And none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. How do you gain wisdom? From the word of God, right? It is from God's word that I gain the wisdom to know how I ought to live and to understand the times I'm living in. But there are a whole bunch of folks that Jesus described who are like those who are living in Noah's day, who are being warned about the coming flood, who are being warned by the building of that ark, and they mocked it and they laughed at Noah, and they just kept going on until it took them by surprise. There are a lot of people in the culture today who mock God's word, who mock the idea of prophecy, who mock the idea that judgment is coming someday. And I want to give you an example of one of them. His name is O'Donnell, and he uh, uh, has a, a news show called Last Word. And recently on MSNBC, he was reacting to another talk show host who suggested that perhaps we're living in the end times, who suggested that we might be actually living out parts of the book of Revelation, that God is going to bring judgment and I want you to listen to his sarcastic response in his last words uh, show. Watch this. The book of Revelation is a work of fiction describing how a truly vicious God would bring about the end of the world. Now, no half-smart religious person believes the book of Revelation anymore. Those people are certain that their God would never turn into a malicious torturer and mass murderer beyond Hitler's wildest dreams. So I guess I'm pretty stupid, all right? I, I guess I'm a, I'm a full wit. I mean, I, I don't know what the deal is, all right? But I tell you what, I just think it's ironic that the name of this show is called Last Word because I know that someday God is going to have the last word, Amen. Right? And you can, you can mock God, you can mock his word, but in the end, God is going to have the last word. And I hope Mr. O'Donnell comes to faith in Christ before that happens, all right? Because I don't know how you can have faith in Christ and then, and then dismiss a book of the Bible and, and mock God. You know, God is not a mean uh, uh, individual. He's not like Adolf Hitler. You know, people want, you know, people are trying to change God these days to make him more palatable, to, to make him tame, to really make God in their own image. You can't make God anything. God is who he's revealed himself to be in his word. He is a loving God. He is a holy God. He is a just God. And I tell you what, he wants to forgive and he wants to restore. He can heal and he can renew. But if you insist, if you insist on sinning, if you insist on having your way, then at the end, God will be a judge. And whether we like it or not, that's the reality of it. 
And it's necessary. And it's going to be what we face someday if we reject God. Now, come back to the text. Look what he says in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who was now standing above the river, how long will it be until these shocking events are over? The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, It will go on for a time, times and half a time, that's three and a half years. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will happen. Verse 8, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? In other words, give me more details. Give me more details. I really, really, really want to understand this better. Give me a better timeline. Give me a better chart. Please help me understand this better. And instead, what the angelic uh, messenger does is make it even more confusing. Look at verse 11. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be not three and a half years, 1260 days, but 1,290 days. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. So here's what he leaves Daniel with. He's been talking to Daniel about the seven-year period the whole time. And at the very end, he goes, and oh, by the way, Daniel, we've just added 75 more days to God's program. What's that all about? What are the extra 75 days for? We're not sure. We can take some guesses. We can guess that the first 30 days is a time of mourning. Mourning for who? Mourning for that one-third of Israel that is kept during the time of tribulation, the time of God's wrath, who comes out at the other end at the millennium and recognizes Jesus finally for who he is. You say, how do you know that? By something the prophet Zechariah said. Let me read it for you. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. Then in chapter 13, verse 8, listen to these words. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord. But one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And God will keep his promise to Abraham that he will always, always have a people. What are the other 45 days for? We're not sure. All right, but we know that between Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and between Hanukkah, what is celebrated as the rededication of the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes ransacked it, there are 75 days. Some scholars guess that these 75 days represent the time of rededicating the millennial temple from where Jesus will rule in Jerusalem. Again, speculation. We're not sure. Only time will Hell, but something fantastic is going to happen. And then these final words of Daniel chapter 12. The angel says, as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. And, such, and so we complete our study of the book of Daniel. And the question I have to ask is, so what? 
So what? We've gone through this entire study. What does it mean for you and for me? So what? Have we gained a whole lot more knowledge about the Bible and about the end times? I hope so. That's good. So what? Are we more committed now to studying God's word? Are we more committed now to understanding its meaning and living a holy, pleasing life to God? I hope so. That would be great. So what? Are we filled with optimism? Because now we know in the end, God wins and those who are his followers are going to win with him. Absolutely. And I am tremendously encouraged by that. But I still have to ask the question, so what? What difference is it going to cause me, you, and the Compass Church to make in this world? And I am taken back to a verse, verse 3 in Daniel chapter 12. And I want you to listen to it because I glossed over it on purpose. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. The wise ones are the ones who know God's word and understand what's happening around them. But listen next. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Who are those who lead many to righteousness? They're the boys and girls and men and women and students throughout history to this very day till Jesus comes who take God seriously, who take God's Son and God's Word seriously, and who with their lives and their testimony are always pointing to Jesus Christ, who look at a broken world and, and weep over the brokenness of the world because they know it doesn't have to be that way. And so they are compelled in their hearts and their minds to point people to the hope That is Jesus Christ, the hope that rises out of a dark world and that can change a person, a family, a community, and even a nation. That's who the shining stars are. And I want to be a shining star, don't you? And I want want the Compass Church to be a shining star for the Lord. I want us to point people. I want us to point people to the hope that can be found in a dismal, uncertain, uneasy kind of world that we live in today. I desperately want that. And so this series has had a profound effect on my own personal life. My own personal life, my leadership life here at the Compass Church. And I have re-upped to the mission and vision of this church. I will be here 10 years this coming April, next month. And you know, as I think about having been here 10 years, well, hang on, you may want to hear what I have to say and retract that, all right? But having been here these last 10 years, I want you to know I am more committed to our mission and vision than I have ever been in, in, in my time here. I am up for the game, and I hope you are too. You say, well, what's our mission? Very simple. Our mission is biblically based, Matthew four nineteen. Say it with me. To compel others to embrace the call of Jesus. Come, follow me. And the vision of our church is very simple. We want to be an epicenter of life transformation. All right? And the way we want to do this is by spreading the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. And our strategy these days is through the multiplication of our multi-site campuses. We want to bring God's word out to the people. You know, there are 800,000 people who live in DuPage and Will County. And I, I think about that. I know so many of them are not going to go to eternity with the Lord. 
And, and I think, and I just feel so overwhelmed. How, how do we reach 800,000 people? And the answer is oikos. It's a Greek word. It means household. It's used in the Bible. And you know, when I think of household, I think about my blood relatives. But biblically, your oikos is anybody, anybody you have regular contact with. There's a certain place I eat breakfast at in town when I have a lot of my breakfast meetings. And I purposely go to the same place all the time because I want to build a relationship there. I want, I want to have it turn into an opportunity to witness. And so I always have the same waitress and it's usually uh, one or two of the managers and there's another gal that works in there. They know me now. I know them. They are part of my oikos, all right? And so on this little card that you received today, over on the right-hand side, we ask you, who are three individuals you could befriend, all right, and eventually pray for and perhaps lead to faith or at least invite to church. And I'd like you in the next couple of moments to write down their first names, all right? You say, well, I don't know their names. So write down what they do. The guy at work, the gal at the library, the person at the Starbucks that I see every day. And instead of just passing by them unintentionally every day, I want you to start to pray for them. I want you to start thinking redemptively toward them. I'm not asking you to take the Bible and club them over the head with it. I'm not asking you to give them the four spiritual laws and free Freak them out. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to befriend them and pray for them. That God will open the door for you to invite them to come to one of our services. Maybe even to Easter. All right. So start thinking about who those names might be. Now if there are 3,000 of us who are part of the Compass Church. And let's say we all know about four people in our oikos who may not know Christ. That's about how many people? Three times four is what? Twelve. It's 12,000, all right? I know what you meant, all right? 12,000. But let's make it even easier. Let's just say 10,000. We're going to call it our 10,000 initiative. That's who I believe God's called the Compass Church to reach out to. 10,000 people in the region, the counties around us, to touch their lives some way, somehow, with the gospel. To point them to Jesus. To be a bright, shining star. To be a compass that points people to who Jesus Christ is. That's what I think God is calling us to do and God is calling us to be about. Amen? Amen. You're not sure about that, are you? Right? The problem with the church in America today is totally inward focus. People come to church thinking about themselves. They leave thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about the people who are going to spend an eternity in a place called hell because we don't think it's a reality. We honestly don't think it's a reality. We want to write books about it, dismissing it. We want to give people second and third chances in eternity. But the Bible says it's a reality and people are going to perish someday without Christ. And you and I may not like that, but that's what God says. And that's the way it's going to be. And that's why God says, now is the time to do something about it. Today is the day of salvation. I love what, the, what Paul says over in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Do you know you have beautiful feet? That's what God says when those feet take you to encounter people with the hope that they'll come to faith in Christ. How beautiful are those feet. We are shining stars before the Lord. And so that's why we're in our multi-site ministry. Because to reach those 10,000, we've got to go to where they are. Can't all fit them in here. We lost our first campus at 111th. 
Right now, there are 400 individuals over there under Pastor Rich and his staff's uh, leadership, and they're doing a great job, and I thank God for them, and every one of us should be proud of what's going on over there at the 111th campus. It's a good thing that God is doing there, and, and I'm excited about it. And we had hoped to buy some land near there and build this big, beautiful campus and have this presence in the community. But you know what? It's become apparent to us over the last several months that it's not a wise thing to do financially. The land we were trying to buy, there were so many hiccups. There were so many roadblocks that were coming in the way that we finally pulled the plug on it. And you know what? I'm not discouraged by that. I'm excited, actually. Because for what it would have cost us to do one piece of property, 20 acres, prep it, put a basic building up on it, we can start three or four multi-sites and do some renovation here at this campus. So right now we're looking for a long-term lease space of 30,000 square feet or more. We're looking for perhaps even a building that we could buy that's out there. We're kind of excited about that. And we're also now talking about starting our second campus the next 12 to 24 months. And you'll see on this card, if you're willing to pray for the next campus or willing to help seed that next campus, I'd love for you to check that box because I'm looking for some animals. Say, what do you mean you're looking for some animals? I'm looking for some people that want to live out on the edge. I want to be an animal for God, all right? Not cool? New little thing. He's calling me wild, all right? I want to be an animal for God. I want to go out and make a difference. I want to live on the wild side for God. I want to make a difference. And I want you to make a difference. And I don't want you to go somewhere because it's convenient. I want you to say, I'll drive a half hour if I have to get there. I just want to be on the exciting edge of where God is making a difference in people's hearts and in people's lives. And uh, we've got a great concept for our, our campuses. We um, have been looking at one that's just north of here, another church that has a multi-site campus. They run 1,000 on the weekend. It's a 27,000-square-foot building. And we like what they've done, so we kind of want to copy the same concept. And we want our campuses, including this one, to be very, very community-friendly. We want the community to come in and spend time and, and be able to do their work and have their meetings and have refreshments and, and coffee and food. So we're going to establish a cafe in each one. And uh, this cafe is going to be like a Panera or a Starbucks. And we just want the community to come in. We want you to be able to come in. We want to build relationships in that. We want to have kids zones. We want to have a great kid-friendly area where kids can come in with their moms during the week and they can play and crawl around and have a blast. And this is a picture of one just up the road, actually. And we just want them to have a great time because we know that if we reach the kids, we reach the parents. We reach the parents, we reach families, we reach families. You reach a community, you reach a community, you reach a region, you reach a region, you reach a state, you reach a state, you reach a nation. And that's how revival starts, one person at a time. And it starts one child at a time. Did you know that 80% of people who come to faith in Christ, 80% of people who come to faith in Christ do so before the age of 20? That's why we focus so much on kids around here. Because that's where you got to start. That's when the decisions are being made. And uh, uh, we also realize that we need to do a major upgrade of our own campus. And I've been promising Joe and we would get there, our children's director, and we're going to. We're literally going to rip off the top of this place, if that's what it takes. And we're going to redesign our whole children's area, all right? And we're going to bring it up to space and... We've got our own brand now. 
with, our, with our logo, and it's called True North. So all across our multi-site campuses, True North is the brand, goes to the Compass Church. And we have some artist renderings of what we want to do here. We want to make this a zone where families want to bring their kids. We want people to talk about the Compass Church in our community and the Hobson Campus as the place you want to go to during the week to bring your kids and have some fun. And there we get to show and share with them the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. It's all very exciting. We want to have our own cafe here as well. Redesign our welcoming area. And of course, none of that comes free. So we're going to have a capital campaign that we hope to launch uh, sometime early next year to raise some money to make this happen all the way across the board. Which means we have to reorganize a little bit. And so just as we have a campus pastor over at 111th with Pastor Rich, we're going to have a campus pastor here at Hobson. I've asked Pastor Rick Pearson to be the campus pastor of Hobson and then another campus pastor for our third site. And these individuals will be responsible for the staff at each one of those sites. I'll continue to be a senior pastor over all the campus church, the primary teacher, but we want to make sure each campus has a pastor who's looking after it and caring for those people and shepherding that flock excited about what God's going to do. But it's not just about what God is doing here, it's what God is doing far away as well. And uh, we're so blessed this weekend, uh, it just happened to be timing, that one of our mission partners is with us, uh, Bala Singham. And so Bala, would you come up here, would you welcome Bala? And uh, Bala has been uh, a big part of what's going on in Indonesia. And something historic is about to happen in the island of Sumatra, an island with over 50 million people who don't know Jesus Christ. And uh, you and I are going to be a part of something truly historic. So Bala, tell us about it, please. Compass Church, for the last five years, you have been investing about $12,000 each year in the largest Muslim country in the world, Indonesia, and precisely in their largest island called Sumatra, which has over 50 million unreached, totally unreached Muslim people. About 200 years ago, Christianity came into Sumatra, and the only people that welcomed the gospel was a cannibalistic tribal group called the Bataks. They received the gospel, and of course the gospel changed them, transformed them, that now they are doctors and lawyers and big people in the society. But for all these 200 years, that strong religious demarcation that the Muslims would not hear the gospel and the tribal people would not feel comfortable to reach the Muslims. It's like if you were to think of in America, if you were to think that the native Indians are the ones that received the gospel, and for them then to try and reach the Caucasian Anglo-American, how difficult that would be. And so that's what's happening in Sumatra, is that for 200 over years, the Batak people did not dare reach the Muslims. But in the last few years, God has been moving them. And last month, unprecedented in the history of Sumatra, the 30 Sumatran Batak pastors would meet with me and say, can you train us? Can your mission train us and help us to set up 
a mission organization in Sumatra to reach the Muslims. Unprecedented. And they said, let's do it. And so in May, they are going to set up this mission organization and they want you, the Compass Church, to come there and launch it through your senior pastor. <laughs> and he is coming there in May to do a three-day conference with hundreds of these pastors and leaders. And at the third day, they are going to launch the first mission, indigenous mission organization in Sumatra to reach the Muslims. And you are part of it. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And I just saw it when Bala uh, shared that with me yesterday, because this just happened. I just thought, I, I just was so humbled for us as a church to think that God, in His grace, would ask us to join Him in what matters so much to His heart. I was so moved by that, so humbled by that, that God would ask us to do that. God is doing some amazing things right now at the Compass Church. It's so exciting. I could go on for hours. I promise I won't. All right? But it's exciting what God is doing. Now, uh, Balak, it's just all has happened. We didn't budget for it. How much does it cost to house and take care of these uh, 100 yes. pastors for, for that a week? mission conference for three days, we need $3,000. All right. Brother, God bless you. Thank, Thank you so much. All right? So, you know what? If... Uh, if you feel moved in your heart and want to help support that conference, uh, you can hand Bala a check or me or Pastor Rick for, you know, however much made out to the Compass Church if you want, all right? A little boy last night gave, I think it was like $5. It was so cool. Perhaps the best gift of all. And uh, that's how it will be used. And that money will help launch something that's never happened before in Sumatra. And uh, any excess it will be used for further conferences that I'm teaching at in uh, Vietnam and Bangladesh. So some pretty exciting things that are happening on behalf of the Compass Church. But that's the outreach portion. The other part I'm equally committed to is discipleship. One of the things that's happened in this series is I've become so aware that you and I are living in dangerous, dangerous times of deception. Now it's one thing to have deception in the world. What really bothers me is the deception that's taking place within the church itself. You know, Paul said, and we're going to talk about this in May, that in the end times, people's ears would be itching. They would want to be tickled with half-truth and half-lies. And I see that happening now with some of the books that are being written and some of the things that's being preached and said that go counter to the Word of God. And I see young people getting very confused about what is the truth. So we are going to work so hard to make sure that every one of us knows God's truth. And so next fall, we launch the uh, Compass Confirmation classes here for our young people. Uh, we'll have the dates and uh, information for you in May. Next spring, an apologetics course for our high schoolers, preparing them for college. And I'm asking all of our life groups to make sure they're in good, solid Bible studies, teaching, learning God's Word. That's important to us. We're developing a relationship with Northern Seminary. Uh, and the president, Alistair Brown, goes to our church. Two of the professors, Old Testament, theology professor, professor attend our church. We're going to offer a seven-course uh, uh, certificate program, five on Bible theology, two on leadership. And they're 20 hours each. And if you have a bachelor's, you can actually apply it toward a master's there at Northern. And it's for those of you who really want to dig in and gain a deeper, deeper understanding, that's going to be available to you as well. 
Also this May, we're doing a series through 2 Timothy called Mankind vs. Wild. And it's going to be a fun series, but it takes us all the way through 2 Timothy, which is appropriate after this study on Daniel. Because in that letter, Paul tells us how to survive the culture. How to live in an end times culture. We got Josh McDowell coming in June, kicking off a series on how we can trust the Bible, how to defend the Bible, how to use the Bible. We've got a prophecy speaker coming in July, Dr. Marv Rosenthal, to talk about end times kinds of stuff. There's some exciting things that are coming up to help deepen you, root you down in your faith. And so I hope that right now you'll grab that card and start to fill it out. And the first way you can help us, get involved with Easter. As Darcy said, just a couple little things that you could do there to help us with Easter. Help us reach those kids to help us reach those families. You know, our Awana kids just went to a little competition uh, this, this weekend. And uh, two of the teens placed first, one of the teens placed second. You know what I discovered by reading about Awana recently? Listen carefully to this. Awana is a program that teaches children how to hide God's word in their heart. A survey, a study was done. It was discovered that the majority of kids, if they stay six years in Awana, remain faithful to God and in the church as adults. 92% of Awana alumni are still in church and are still being faithful to God. Isn't that awesome? That's discipleship. That's what discipleship is ultimately all about. And I got to tell you, I have friends in other churches right now, large churches, who are cutting their Awana programs because it's so volunteer intensive. And I just look at that and I go, with results like that, how can you do that? How can you cut that? Where are they going to get the word of God otherwise? So we're very committed to our children's and our Awana program. So help us out there, all right? Help us out if you want to be an animal at the new multi-site. Let us know if you're going to pray, if you're going to continue to give, and who are those names, all right? Because you know what? The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. But you know what I want to say? I want to say, let's make Jesus Christ the Lord of the western suburbs, amen? And the God of our cities, and the God of our cities. So why don't you go ahead and start to fill that out, and uh, then we're going to sing a great song as we end, so don't leave, that talks about, you know, the God of this city. But go ahead and fill that out.